This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Okay, I want to read in 1 Samuel 17, and the question I'm asking, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Um, you know, the, the theme sort of for all of us is a, a lot of people would come to a town like this and, and then you think like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of just here going through the motions. Um, but do you know that God has a relationship with individuals? He has a relationship with families, but he also has a relationship with the town that you live in and with the nation that you live in. There's a redemptive purpose for that town. And the reason why you and I are here is not to play church, church, or just to go through the, ma- the motions, but actually to, to redeem the town, to redeem and bring it back to its original purpose. Uh, why are we here? Why are we living here? So you're not just going through a busy life and you're going through a lot of stuff. Um, and that's why when, when Jesus um, wept over Jerusalem, he didn't weep over the individuals, he wept over the city and he was speaking stuff over the city. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about us as individuals, but the next week we're going to talk about what type of relationship does God want to have with Stellenbosch and what is, why are you here? Why are we here as a church? Otherwise you can get so busy, so going through the stuff that you, um, your life just gets more busy and busier. So here uh, in 1 Samuel 17 verse 28, this is the scene when the Philistine Goliath is standing there and he's been mocking the, the armies of the Lord and the king is, is ready. He's afraid. Lots of people. There's a lot of tension. And here comes this little shepherd boy onto the scene of, of this massive thing that's happening before him. And we all, from when we were young, we did the David and Goliath story. I'm not going to talk about that because we know what was the end result. But he comes to this place where he meets his older brothers. And so now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke First Samuel 17, 28, spoke to the men, because David was starting to talk and asking, what's going on here? Why are these people making such a noise? Why is everybody so afraid? Why is this, what is this big guy doing here? And Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. For you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? <laughs> so um, David was, we all know when he lined up in the line, uh, when his brothers lined up, he wasn't even uh, nominated to be part of the guy who's going to take over the kingdom. Um, his father didn't even see him as a nominee, <laughs> as somebody that qualified. So the, when the Samuel the prophet came, everybody was standing there except David. The one brother was, was just not there. Now I wonder what his father said to him. Hey, you don't qualify. Just stay with the sheep. Stay out there. And now he comes onto the scene. And now he's, the first thing is his brother starts to challenge the, the motivation of his heart. And he says, oh, you, who are you, man? Just stay with the small sheep down there. Why are you like, you know? And so, so goof right into his character. There's a massive onslaught, even from somebody very close to him. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So he, he started to talk, is there not a cause? Why, why are you here? Why are we here? <laughs> you know, there's, there's so much fear, so much stuff happening around you. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, 
They reported them to Saul and he sent for him. And then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. So he says, Saul says, hey, you can't fight. You're too young. <laughs> you too, you too nobody. You know, your age, everything counts against you. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with the coat of mail and David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. For he had not tested them and David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. So first we see the brother accusing the motivation of his heart. Then the other people said, hey, even Saul himself said, you're too young. You can't make it. And then what they did, the next thing is they tried to put Saul's armor on David. You know? Isn't it amazing that people, you know, we all grow up in that way sometimes, that people try to live their expectations through our lives. Especially parents sometimes. We want the kids to be what we could not be. <laughs> And then we pressurize them. No, no, no. You know, if you swat drama, you're never going to make it in life because how are you going to look after yourself? You know? Or you swat that, you know, you never go. Or you do that. You, no, 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 no. Do go for the security option. <laughs> isn't, isn't it amazing how many times we, we put on other people's armors or we allow other people to put their armors on us, but it doesn't fit. And that's why, you know, the, the amazing thing as, as the story goes on, every time there's a, like a, hey, but the Lord is with us. The Lord is here. He's our strength. He's our refuge. And so, um, so there was a lot of testing. So he tested the armor and he said it doesn't work. Verse 40. And then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch where he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Sure. Uh, a story that we've all heard, you know. But um, there's, a, there's a couple of principles we can almost miss. <laughs> And um, a couple of things in our own personal lives when, when we come and we say, God, why am I here? Why are we here? You know, um, and, and this is sort of like what Paul, what, what he writes. And later we're going to look at what Peter wrote and what Paul wrote if we get around to that. But he, there's a challenge. And every day you and I are going to be challenged with accusations, with fears, with looking at our circumstances, with stuff around us. And then this one question arises, is there not a cause? Is there not something bigger? Is there not? And obviously we all know that firstly we are here to glorify God. We are not here to build church. We are not here to, to have a nice marriage. We are not here to build a big kingdom for ourselves. We are here. Our primary purpose in this life is to glorify God. We are here to worship Him, to show the world in, in that same place who God is. And it only comes out of an intimate relationship with Him. Can I get an amen? Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you are here to glorify God. <laughs> so, so the challenge is all of us, we, we, we are faced with, with the opinion of people. You are faced with things around you. 
And then, you know, we, we always talk about the, you know, the angel on the one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. Because um, the devil always talks in terms of accusation. So he will always tell you what you cannot do, how bad you are, what's wrong with you, and how you need to fix yourself. Because he always speaks in terms of condemnation, accusation, shame, guilt, and fear. Now, now uh, this, there was actually a guy who came from Natal um, at the beginning of the year, and, and, he, and he said, I've got a very encouraging word for you as a church. You are going to slay many giants this year. <laughs> Um, and I thought like, okay, that's not so encouraging, yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, yeah, because that means that these giants are going to be big and they're going to stand right in front of us and we're going to need to face them. But isn't it amazing later when, when David runs up against Goliath, he says, I don't come to you in my own strength, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host of heaven. Because he saw how big God was over Goliath. <laughs> Everybody was looking at Goliath, but he saw how big God was. I'm, this, this is one of the questions I'm going to ask David when I get to heaven. You can ask the same if you're there before me. But um, when you went to pick up those little stones in that little river, what was your conversation with God? What, what was it about? Imagine you were in that position. I was in that position. Okay, your own brother, everybody around you is saying, no, uh-uh, you, your motivation is wrong, you're just in it for yourself, no, 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 you know, always like, even your own physical, natural brother comes against what's in your heart, the vision God has given you or given us. And now the king and everybody, everybody says, okay, now this little small shepherd boy, <laughs> and now what he does is he withdraws. He withdraws from all the noise, all the stuff around him, and it talks about our, our intimacy with God, that place that you have with God. The question I have is, do you have that place? Do I have that place with God? That when everything else gets so busy, everything else runs around, all the accusation, all the stuff, right, even in your own heart, the fears that, that you and I have to face, do you withdraw? Do you go up and go and pick up those little stones and you talk, can talk to God and say, okay, God, it's not in the stones. It's not in the stones. It's in knowing you. It's in that place, you know. It's that same David that, that wrote, you know, He is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Sure, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Isn't it a beautiful picture of how, especially in the Middle East, how the, the sheep would follow the, sh the shepherd? It's not like us. I, I grew up on a sheep farm, and there you have to like get these sheep through the, you know, through this little gateway or through, you know. And, and what you do is you use dogs, and and those dogs chase the sheep. But the sheep are so frantic, and they have to go through there. And sheep are not very in, intelligent beings, um, so they run against the fences. They're all over the place. So we chase sheep in the West. But you know how beautiful it was in, in God's time, in, in Jesus' time especially, is the shepherd, all the shepherds would sleep together in, in a little, what they call, uh, there was a little wall this high around. All the sheep would come in and the, sh and the shepherds would sleep in the opening of where this, the sheep came in. And in the morning, all they would do, every shepherd would stand up and begin to walk in a direction. 
and the shepherds would just speak. And as they would speak out loud, all the sheep, their specific sheep, would start to follow the shepherd, just slowly walk out, start to follow the, the shepherd. And that's how they divided the sheep. There was no chasing, there was no fear, there was no like stuff, you know. And um, I went to my with my father one day to the place where they slaughter the sheep, and um, it's actually crazy. We uh, we opened up the the gates of this uh, of the of the big truck. There was probably about 300 sheep on there. And the thing is with sheep is you can't chase them. If you chase them at the place where you, what do you call it, the abattoir, is that the right word, okay? Uh, if you chase them, then they, they, all their muscles like get spasms and then you can't eat them. It's like Thai sheep, okay? What is Thai sheep? Not Thai like an eastern sheep, like Thai, like really difficult sheep to eat. But, um, <clears throat> but so we opened it up and now I, I thought like, how are we going to get all these sheep out, you know, out of this truck? And and um, and then my father just said, no, no, don't wait. Uh, they have a goat here. They call him the Judas goat. <laughs> really? I don't know if the goat is still there. That was like 20 years ago, you know. And then we open the gate, and here comes this goat. And the goat walks out of the abattoir, and then he walks all through the circles. He walks around, walks around. He gets up into the truck, mingles with the sheep, then turns around and then climbs out and starts to walk. And then one by one, every sheep would, all the sheep would just start to follow and walk. They call him a Judas goat. I thought like, it's scripture happening before me. No, stop, you're going to die. You know, don't follow this thing. You know? <laughs> I don't know. But, um, <laughs> because sheep follow. And, uh, and it's such a beautiful picture of, you know, how, how David had this heart after God. He had this place with God. But you know, if, if you and I are going to follow God, we're going to start to hear His voice. And, and you're going to say yes to the cause of Christ for your life. You must know all hell is going to break loose. <laughs> if you don't find persecution or opposition, then maybe you're not a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Maybe, maybe these, these, hey, maybe you're complacent. Maybe you are and I are in a comfort zone. And you know how many people just get into a comfort zone because we get so busy. We, we, even, we even use our children or our family as excuses to follow God. No, take them with. You as a family follow God together. Can I get an amen? No, 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 you know, I'm too busy. I'm just like, whoa, another year has passed. And then I said, but what did you do concerning the cause of Christ? And you can see it in your prayer life. What do you pray for? Do you just pray for yourself? Do I just pray for myself? Oh, Lord, please be with me. Oh, Lord, please help me. Oh, Lord, please, you know, I need to make it to the next day. Or oh, is there something greater that God is stirring in your heart? You say, God, I want this town to be redeemed. Lord, there's so much pride in this town. There's so much intellectual pride in this town. There's so much division in this town. There's so much stuff happening. Somebody, Tani Koran Sandenberg, sent me a clip of, of what's happening with... Uh, uh, with a child prostitution in our country, with 13-year-olds or in prostitution, right here in Cape Town, right here on our streets. And they made a whole video of going in where they, and then they find a three-year-old boy trapped with, by Nigerians in a room. And I think like, what? That's the world that we're living in. Now, if those things don't stir us, we're in trouble. <laughs> If you're not stirred by something bigger than yourself, 
then, then, then you must ask this question, are, you just, are we just part of the crowd? Are we just saying, oh, oh you know, there's big Philistines here. There's, there's massive Philistines and we're all afraid. <laughs> but there's some people that say, is there not a cause? Is it not the cause of Christ? Is it not something burning in your, in your heart and in my heart? Is it not something bigger than we say, God? And I'm not talking about performance. I'm just talking about a hunger and an urgency in our hearts to follow God. To say, God, you have planted me in this place. <laughs> and, and I don't care what people say or what people around me. Lord, I, I want to know you and I want to see your redemptive purpose. And that's why, you know, God said of David, he said, this is a man after my own heart. I can trust David. And God wants to trust us. God wants us to walk. Now I'm going to jump and it's going to almost feel like it's completely a different scripture. But to 1 Peter 5 verse 1 to 11. And this is a, a, a scripture that Peter wrote to people that were scattered all over the world. So Peter didn't write to a specific church like most of the other epistles. It was in the time of where Christianity was not favorable and you were not allowed even to be a Christian. So, so, so the, the church in this time, as he's writing this, and the people that he's writing to are on the brink of one of the toughest persecutions in the world. And so, so Peter begins to write and he gets a, a very practical. And he gets practical about the things that's happening in people's lives. So I'm going, to, I'm going to start from the from the verse one. I'm not going to focus so much at the beginning, but he says, "The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ." So the theme of First Peter is the sufferings of Christ. It's like hey, embracing this this stuff that goes on in our lives. How do how do we see the things? How do you see the tough times in your life? How do you see it? Uh, do you just pray for deliverance and say, oh God, please take away the tough times? Or are you gonna, and I gonna allow those giants in front of us to be challenged? And are we gonna allow faith to arise in our hearts to actually face those things that are in front of us? Or are we gonna run away? So first it comes to the elders, and the elders were like the guys who would sit at the gate. The gates of the city and most of the decisions and the protection of, of the city was, was given over to, to the eldership. So it's a concept that has gone through scripture. I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now he talks to these elders and to the leaders. He says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. It's a beautiful place of how he talks about Christian leadership, where the world lorded over people, they control people, they manipulate, and he says, no, 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 you love the people, you look after the people, but don't lord it over them. Don't manipulate them. Don't like, you know, I was um, listening to a thing the other day, and I, I must say, this is just a personal challenge for me, especially when things come out of the America, you know, this group of people, or this, this one big preacher stood up and said, oh, the Lord told me that there's going to be a thousand people here that each going to give a thousand rand to the Lord, thousand dollars to the Lord. And, um, but, but I know that you haven't made provision, so we have got credit card machines here. And here comes the ushers. And I'm standing there. The moment after that happened, I must tell you, I got a headache like crazy. I don't. I thought like, what 
is happening here. The Lord told me. Unfortunately, we have too many people saying, the Lord told me. I'm afraid these days when people just like publicly all over say, the Lord told me, you know. And then most people just like, run. No, 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 check it with scripture. Is what you're saying, is it in line with what the Lord told us? <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how, how people are, are just, you know, how people can abuse even the gifts on their lives. You know, that's, that's so amazing about God. One of the questions that, that was, that I always struggle with is I say, God, why can people abuse the gifts? So then God says in his scripture, but the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. You can abuse the gifts. So don't just say because somebody's powerful in the church and there's miracles happening that that person is being used by God. God, many years ago, can I tell you a personal story? But it's just between the two of us. Is that all right? Okay? Don't tell anybody else. I was struggling with this Romans 13 scripture and saying, Lord, but how can, how can these people just get away with this? And God says, hey, but the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Once he gives you a gift, you can use it for your own gain or you can abuse it. And you can abuse the people of God. You can manipulate them or you can lead them by the Holy Spirit and let God be their shepherd. So the, this morning I was struggling through this and then this, this word popped into my spirit. It was a funny word. And I thought like, this is crazy. I've never heard this word. And, um, and later that day when I watched the news, uh, they had like a whole interview on the, on all the horses that were going to run for the Durban July. And then one of those names, the name that popped into my spirit was one of the names of one of the horses. And I thought like, okay. And three days later, that horse won the race. And then the Lord says, do you know what? Because I can flow in the word of knowledge where God supernaturally gives me knowledge. Then God told me, you can abuse that gift. Because it's either going to give glory to God or it's going to give glory to you. You can abuse the gifts of God. And this is what he's writing. He's saying like, hey, don't lord it over people. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Verse 5, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, now, younger people, you must submit to your small group leaders, submit. And he says, and then there's also submission to one another. So he's trying to bring order because he says, look at where you're going. You, you need to understand it's not lording over people. It's not, it's just like, hey, we're growing together. And each one of us have got a different function. But he says, the key is to humble yourself. The literal for that humble actually means to put on a servant's apron. <laughs> you know, like the, the children's church people, they, they wear an apron. <laughs> yeah? A full squeaky. Which symbolizes serving. He says, you humble yourself, but that humility is not just the issue of the heart. It is an issue of serving. It's an issue of coming to that place. <laughs> because he says, then he will exalt you in due time. And now he begins to get very practical. 
He says, because when you, when you come into this place, even when all of this persecution and all this stuff and the heavy stuff is happening, he says, casting all your care upon him, upon him for he cares for you. The, the, the word actually there means violently learn to cast your heaviness upon God. <laughs> It's like you, you're taking something and you are throwing it. It's like, you know, you, you're not just, I don't want to throw water, I must throw something else. You know, it's like you, like you take, you know, you take something and you're like, wow, yeah, you're getting rid of it. And that's the picture of casting your cares upon God. And he says, once you've cast your cares upon God, then he says, but be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he gives us some practical things. He says, the first thing is learn to cast your cares. When those burdens come, throw it. Throw it before the feet of God. Throw it before the feet of God. But know that you need to be sober. It means that don't be drunk with other things. Don't be drunk, intoxicated with the things of this world. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because there's a war going on. And the devil wants you not to walk into the cause of Christ. He wants you to fall for fear. He wants you to run away from what God has called us to do. And that's, he says, like, be sober. He's not a roaring lion, but he walks around like one. He goes like, oh, you know, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to. And then he says, don't just be sober. The third thing he says there, be, or not be, resist him. Steadfast in the faith. So he says, learn to cast your cares when there's a heaviness, when that stuff happens all around you. Learn to give it to God. You need to learn to give it. There's some of you that need to unburden some stuff today before God because you're carrying stuff that you're not supposed to carry. Some accusations, just like David had. <laughs> Brothers and people around you that say stuff about you. People that say, no, you're not the right person in the right place. You're not here now. Fears, stuff that's happening, massive giants that's standing. And, and Peter says, cast it. <laughs> but then he says, be sober. And then he says, now, once you know what's going on around you, that's why we need the Holy Spirit. He says, resist the devil. He says, there's a resistance. And when I resist somebody, it means, low, come here quickly. I must, I must know that there's going to be opposition. Okay. So when, resist me. Okay. When I, it's not just going to be easy. Yeah. Okay, no, 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 just, don't just stand there, resist, okay? But, uh, yeah, when I resist somebody, it's like, hey, I wanna, I wanna go there and you need to resist me, okay? Resist, okay. No, not so, don't, like, like, one man. Okay. <laughs> See, if I wanna get there, I must expect there's gonna be stuff that's gonna happen and I need to resist him. He's gonna resist me. There's gonna be a bit of a, like, arm wrestling. Thanks, Lo. Okay. And now he goes on, he says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, suffered a while, so it's again the whole theme of suffering, he says, look here, you're going to go through tough times, and you need to know, in those tough times, in those busy times, throw your cares on God. Be sober about what's happening, because when you're not sober, you're just going to go through life. You're going to just like, you're going to miss those opportunities that God gives you. Because you're gonna, the world intoxicates us. The world will make you drunk. Just watching television and going on, you, you can so easily just slip into a place of comfort, of complacency, of nothing, nothingness. 
But listen to this. He says, in, in this time, in, when you start to resist and you learn that there's a spiritual war going on for your family. And I want to talk to some husbands here. You must start praying. Don't think that the devil is not going to get into your back door if you, if there's no prayer in your homes, in our homes. I want to specifically talk to the men. We need to start praying. Don't wait for the ladies to pray. They're always keen. <laughs> the men, you must be the spiritual leaders. You must be the people that stand there as, as the priests. Everybody are priests, but hey, men, we need to wake up. <laughs> Not too many amens. Can I get a woman? <laughs> okay. He says, now after you have suffered a little while, he says, after you have suffered a little while, he doesn't say that your life will be void of suffering and tough times. Sure. Listen to what will happen. The Lord will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever. Okay, last slide. Are you with me? And then we're going to pray. Are you all with me? Okay, I'm finished with the introduction, so let's, let's go on, okay? I went to, to look at the original words that he says, what will happen in your life when you and I start to embrace the difficult times, the challenging times? What will happen? What are those words? What do they mean to perfect, to establish, to strengthen, to settle you? Because <laughs> that's what he says. He says, once you've learned to cast your cares, once you've come to be sober and you realize like, hey, wake up, wake up, everything that's happening around me, there's a lot of spiritual things as well. And then I learned to resist the devil. But then he says, as you go through that, as the giants stand before you, you have got one or two options. You can walk away in fear, in bitterness, in negativity and say, oh, we're all going to die. Or you can come to a place and you say, oh, Lord, I know that everything that's happening in my life at the moment, it is there to perfect, establish, strengthen and settle me. So I'm going to tackle it head on. Or you can run away. The only problem is if you run away, you will probably in the next season of your life find that same giant standing in front of you and it grew a bit fatter. The elephant got bigger. <laughs> so, so I have a problem with people that just talk about prosperity and the grace of God, but they never talk to you. Because Peter writes here to these people and says, guys, you are going to go through difficult times. And the suffering is part of this world. It's part of your life. But how do you see it? Romans 8.28 says, hey, God will work all things together to, for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. I, I think it was A.R. Bernard that said, everything in my life, it's either God sent or God used. So it, when I have an opportunity in my life, it can be from God, straight from God. Or when I have a massive challenge in my life, God will use it for good. It's all about your perception. Do you know that God is a good God? Amen. He's a good father. And, 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 he's, and he's so much bigger than the giant standing in front of us. But you and I have to make constant decisions every day. Are we going to run away from God? And we are going to try to face our giants or are we going to allow even the tough times in our lives, even the stuff that went wrong in our lives, even the words that people have spoken over you from maybe when you were young, that stuff that just says you are no good, you're never going to make it, you're a failure. When you take that thing to God, he will redeem it. 
And so the first thing that he says is perfect. It's the word restoration to mend that which is broken. Like nets, when you mend the nets, there's like holes in the nets. God says, the first thing that I will do when you go through this tough time and you trust me, what will happen is I will restore you. I will, I will fix all those stuff, all the holes in the net. <laughs> I will perfect you. It's a, it's a, it's a tough word, perfection, because only God is perfect. I mean, he says, I will restore you. And I want to say to you this morning, God will restore you. God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. That's what scripture says. The swarming locusts, the chewing locusts, and the consuming locusts. What were those locusts? These were locusts that would eat the root of the tree, the bark of the tree, and the leaves of the tree, and the fruit. He says, I will go even into the roots of your life, and I will restore you. I will restore the, the, there's some of you that maybe have gone through like relational breakdown, maybe divorce or stuff. And God says, I will, I will be your protection. I will be the bark around you. And then that fruit that was stolen, I, I will come and restore it. But it's only in the context of tough times and suffering. So I want to say to you, don't run away. <laughs> don't say, oh, please God, just deliver me from this. He said, God, deliver me in this. <laughs> If not from this, deliver me in this. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. The second thing is he will establish you to make as firm and solid as granite. <laughs> Unbreakable. <laughs> Where God through that would teach you one thing. Because what, what does God want? He wants faith. You're going to learn in faith to trust God. He's going to make you like granite. <laughs> Unbreakable. I'm not talking about a hardness of heart here. <laughs> We're just talking about you are firm in your faith. You are established in your faith. And then he will strengthen you. He will fill you with strength where you can run against that Goliath and you know the courage of God. You know the strength of God. Even when other people say, oh, you Christians, you this, you like this. And you know, everybody can have an opinion these days except Christians. <laughs> you know, everybody can say whatever they want except Christians. Huh? So more than ever, we need the strength of God as the church, as the body of Christ. With so many isms, so many stuff. Are you still with me? To fall with strength. And then the last one is to settle a man, to lay foundations for generations to build on your life, on my life, and on the church we belong to. Isn't that a beautiful picture where he says that in the midst of this, I'm not praying that your tough times will go away. <laughs> I wonder if Peter was, would be here today and, and you and I would come to him and say, hey, now, now Peter, actually there was another guy that wrote the letter, but Peter obviously told him what to write because the Greek and, and, and the stuff that he used was like very intellectual stuff and Peter was just a fisherman. But, and he actually refers to that. But I wonder if he was here, what he would pray for us. If you and I would come and say, oh, I am so struggling I'm so suffering because somebody is saying something bad of me. I wonder what Peter would have prayed. Lord, increase the slander. Bless his enemies. So that his faith, her faith can be established. He can be strengthened, perfected in you. Because this is the opportunity for them to grow. No, 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 that's not, that's not like scriptural law. Deliver me. I want to run through the tulips, tiptoe through the tulips, drink pineapple drinks with you and just sing nice worship songs so that I feel good. <laughs> no. 
face those Goliaths. Face those fears. Face those challenges. Because it's about the cause of Christ. It's not about you. But once you and I step out of that place and we're established in God, the foundations is laid, your character is aligned because that's our purpose, is to become like Christ. Christ like to reflect Christ. And you can stand out there and say, hey, my life is a trophy bringing glory to Him. But also generations after me, they're going to worship God. Generations. And sometimes you'll, I see Kuis. Kuis is your wife here. Michelle. Oh, they're at the back. Hello. I thought I saw you. Now, they're a very prophetic couple. I must, I must say this, you know, but they told me a story the other day of the Lord told them to, to marry on this little mountain there in Franschuk. And everybody says, you're crazy. You're crazy, you know. You're too spiritual about stuff. <laughs> hey? And then where, what, what museum did you go to? You must tell the story. Come here, quickly, come. Come, Michelle, come. Come, tell the story. Get, get a mic. Okay. I want them to tell that story. I just saw you. You can't hide there at the back. Yo. <laughs> uh, they're not prepared. It's unprepared oral. Okay. This is the place where you normally get, get a bit nervous. This is how Sias gets you involved. He just waits for you to come to church and he calls you to the front. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hello. Um, yes, this is impromptu. Um, okay, so, hello. Okay, just try to keep it short. Okay. okay. Uh, which part? Where, yes. Okay, there's so many testimonies to this, it's not even funny. But the other day, Chris and I went to pray, and after that we went to this random market, and Chris is near at the Ingekerk in Franschhoek. We go there, and at the gate, he's like, quickly, I'm going to show you something there. And his footprint, we're in, the, in like some cement there. And I'm like, oh, that's very cool. And above it, there's this stone altar thingy. And I'm like, what is this? And we read it, and it is a smoke altar for Franschhoek, which basically meant that if a preach, uh, the preacher came to town, then they would have... Uh, set this, uh, like lit it, and there would be smoke, and people would then come to church. And the place where this smoke altar was situated is the exact position, or not exact, but it's on the mountain where we got married, where we ended up really feeling that we had to, even though a lot was against us for the impracticalities of the position. And it was just such a declaration. And a confirmation of something we had known. Yeah. Okay, and just adding to that, what Sia said in the beginning about a town and having a specific calling for a town, uh, part of Pranjuk is um, the French Huguenots coming from overseas to preserve the gospel because they were persecuted for their faith. And in this process, we realized something about that and that preservation that God has done. So that's something for, for Franschuk as well. Um, I just remembered that this morning when you said, so, so yeah, amen. Cool. We like your pants, eh, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for putting you a bit on the spot. But I was thinking about it, you know, even a, a small obedience thing like that, where they get married on the mountain where these people made these smoke screens and then everybody would come and listen to the gospel. 
And that's, that was the word for their wedding. It's like you're going to be a prophetic sign, a prophetic voice. And God is going to use your marriage. But, but it's small stuff like that where it becomes, you know, where even when you're like, whoa, Lord, it's difficult to obey you because it doesn't make sense in the natural. Then God has already in the 1700s <laughs> said that's the place. Hello. And, and so I want to, I want to encourage you, don't hold back. Cause, cause we, we want, we are settlers most of the time. So we want to just like, uh, 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 Lord, that's, that's like, that doesn't make sense to me. But many times when you follow God, it's not going to make sense. Cause it's a life of obedience. It's a life of faith. You know, David, five stones against Goliath. No, no, rather use Saul's armor, you know. At least you'll survive a little bit. <laughs> but then David says, nah. And the key is humility. The key is serving. We are here to serve God. We are here to serve each other. Because not just as individuals, God calls, and this letter is written to a group of people. He says, we are here to serve our town. We are here for the cause of Christ. So even when you're packing the chairs, it's not, it's not just something you do. It may be the next president of the nation that's going to sit there. Hey, socks. <laughs> I want the band to come up as we're going to, we're going to just take a moment and we're going to ask, and I want you to leave that on. Because I'm going to give you an opportunity to in your own life or maybe as a family, because all of us, when, when I would, if I had the time and just go through the lines and go through the rows and ask you, hey, tell me your story. Tell me the tough times in your life. Tell me those times when maybe your children rebelled or maybe when you stood out in faith and everything, nothing worked out. It is amazing when you listen to the testimonies of everybody sitting here. Even for us as a church, we've gone through some tough times, yeah? But the most amazing thing is it will strengthen you. If you allow God, He will build you up. He will lay foundations for generations to come. But we must be void of all bitterness. Because that's what the devil wants. He wants to accuse. He wants to remind you. He wants to stand there and say, no, 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 put somebody else's armor on. No, 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 listen to this. And even people close to you will say, no, no, you can't forgive like that. You can't, no, 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 this is too easy. We all, we all heard the story of, of um Stephen after 40 years when his mother responded. His mother that dumped him in a garbage bin. She dumped him. And almost 40 years, I think 43 years later, she came up for an altar call. We were preaching in a stadium. He said, I want to talk to you. You need to pray for me. He says, no, 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 no. There's some other people that can pray. He says, no, I need to pray. I need to speak to you. And eventually when, when he took her aside, she said, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your mother. I'm the one who dumped you. Do you know what the most amazing thing is? Is he said in himself, he just wanted to say, Where were you all these years? And the Holy Spirit said to him, No, don't go there. Forgive. 
Give it to God. Learn to cast it on God. Learn to take it to the cross. There's some of you that have gone through divorced families and stuff like that. And oh, sure. And I want to say God is going to restore broken relationships. God will restore in your life. Don't listen to the fears. Don't listen to the shame. But there are moments when you and I have to bring those things to God because it's about the cause of God. Because it's about something so much bigger than you. And either you're going to let it internalize and destroy you on the inside or you're going to give it to God and you're going to take your little stones and say, God, like Joseph said to his own brothers, even you intended these things for evil, but God meant it for good to save many people in this nation. So I want you to think of two or three things in your own life personally that you need to let go this morning. And you need to say, God, make all these things work together. It is tough. It's tough when it becomes personal. It's easy when you preach it to somebody out there. And then when you begin to to treat that person as if they've never done it. When you begin to release And when the giants begin to fall, we're going to see as the church of Jesus Christ, and I want to say it over us as a church, as Shofar, we're going to see giants fall, but everybody, every broken person is going to feel so welcome here because there's going to be no judgment. There's going to be humility because when they come, when the really unsaved, unsaved people come, when the prostitutes come, we're going to have aprons on, serving aprons. We're here to serve you. Because we're not going to judge you according to where you came from. We're going to judge you according to what Jesus said over you. And that's grace. That's forgiveness. That's that's freedom. And we're not going to lord it over you. We're going to serve with humility. So will you stand with me this morning? Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.